This is Corolla Digital. Hey, kitties, Adam Carolla here. Been screwed over by a crappy contractor? Who hasn't? Put your hands down, especially those of you who are driving. I got a show coming out on Spike TV called Catch a Contractor. How does it work? We find that crappy contractor. We bring him back to fix what he screwed up. Sound good? Feel like something you could benefit from? Good. If someone you know in the L.A. area has a home construction nightmare courtesy of a crappy contractor, go to catchacontractor.com. That's catchacontractor.com and submit your info. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who likes useless holidays... Hi, folks, and welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And again, that orchestra makes me feel so good. That music is so good to hear. It puts a smile on your face, even if it's a rainy, misty day. And they get better every week. Of course, that's the Hal Needham Orchestra and the Claudia Hahn Dancers, featuring girl tenor Melly Dilatori asking the musical question... Why does everyone care so much about Pete's sake? Well, that's a, that's a good question. That's a really good question. And the colonel and the doctor and I all thought so. But first, some of you may have noticed, I this week mentioned Hal Needham, and we named the orchestra the Hal Needham Orchestra. And it's worth doing. It's said with a smile and great affection, the great Hal Needham just passed away Oh, about a week ago. And he really was great. What a good story and a good life in show business. He was uh, born in Tennessee, I think it was. And uh, he lived to be about 82 years old. He was a stuntman and a big stuntman, a very successful stuntman. And the colonel and I were just saying before that he was a stuntman in the days when they were really doing stunts. And they were really men. I mean, they they were pretty tough. They were doing things. And, and Colonel Jeff mentioned that he saw Hal Needham uh, on a talk show interview. And he was talking about how they did some of those falls, those stunt falls in westerns or spy movies or action movies where, you know, you've seen them. You've seen them a thousand times where the stuntman falls off the top of the building, top of the roof. He gets shot by the star of the movie, and he doubles over and falls over. And Hal Needham described the way they used to do those stunts was, because they didn't have airbags like today. That would be tough anyway. Whatever they do today is very tough. But they didn't have them in those days. And what they would do for those falls was they would put two sawhorses, you know, just two, well, hunks of wood, and then separate them, and they would put two-by-fours over them, between them, holding them together. And they weren't nailed down, by the way. And then a big piece of plywood over that. That was to hit. That was the thing you were going to hit when you came down at about 30 miles an hour. And underneath that, they had a lot of empty boxes and an old mattress. 
and that's what you fell on. And, well, the only thing to say is, wow, you didn't want to do that stunt and then have the director say, okay, back to one, let's do it again. And I'm pretty sure they didn't do it in those days, but, boy, he was very successful at that. And then he became, he was the stunt double for some great stars like Burt Reynolds, and he got to know all the other stunt doubles, and he worked with John Wayne for a long time, and he was really successful. And then in 1971, he wrote a script that he showed his friend Burt Reynolds, and the script was called Smokey and the Bandit, which is a wonderful movie. I didn't know till just now, till today, that he wrote the script too. And there's more to it than that. He showed it to Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds loved it. He read it, and then he convinced Hal to direct it. So suddenly, Hal, Hal Needham, who was, well, one of the greatest stuntmen in all of Hollywood, one of the three or four big-time stuntmen who was really in everything, suddenly Hal was a writer and a director. And that movie, by the way, Smokey and the Bandit, is a wonderful movie on so many counts. And the colonel and I just said that we'll have that in our magic movie moment one of these weeks coming up. We really will because there's so much in that that's funny, that's, well, interesting, that's moving emotionally. It has great love in it, and it has real action, and it has good guys and bad guys. And, well, if... Jackie Gleason is in something like that. He was so good. And there's other things I'll tell you about Smoking and the Bandit when we do it. But that's why Hal Needham, God bless him, he's passed on now. But that's why he gets to lead the orchestra this week. And you and I get to talk about him and think about him a bit. And we will do it again. But, well, girl tenor Melly De La Torre had a great musical question for us. Why does everyone care so much about Pete's sake? Well, that's a terrific musical question. And and it's a great question. Why? Why? And the, the I mean, I never knew what Pete's sake was. We all say it, oh, for Pete's sake. Now, what does that mean? And I just said to the colonel, is that something to do with Pete, meaning St. Peter? Is it something to do with that? Is it for Pete's sake? Is it something for for when something bad happens, you say, oh, for Pete's sake? Is it something like that? And the colonel, in that really wise way he has, said, I don't know. And so we don't know. But boy, oh boy, why does everyone care so much about Pete's sake? That's a great question. Please do, if you know, if you have a clue on that, because I didn't want to look that up on the Internet Google encyclopedia. You know, sometimes there are things you just want to know or want to ask people if they know. So if you know, please send us a note to our website, which many of you know is LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. LarryMillerPodcast.com. Send us a note if you know what Pete's sake is and was. And so, Melly. Melly Dilatori, why does everyone care so much about Pete's sake? I don't know. The colonel doesn't know. The doctor doesn't know. And we're hoping one of you knows out there. It's a good question. Darn good question. Thank you, Melly. 
and by Amazon. That's right, Amazon. We are brought to you by Amazon. Amazon, as you know, you take your screen, you take your electronic watch, you take anything that's connected to the Internet, and you go right to the Internet, and you go to Amazon.com, right? Wrong! You don't. You don't do that at all. You go to our website again, which, remember, is LarryMillerPodcast.com, and on our website, we have a banner that says Amazon. You click on our banner that says Amazon, and we take you to Amazon. That's right. It's not anything electronic. We actually come out there and take you to Amazon. But you'll get there, and then you can order anything you want, anything you can imagine, and Amazon will be thrilled to send it to you. And it's the happiest of business arrangements because you get what you want. Amazon sends you everything you ask for, and then they give us a percentage of whatever you buy there. So they send us some dough. And that's a pretty happy business deal, as far as I'm concerned. And that money, of course, goes to our next big fancy fried chicken dinner with cocktails beforehand. We haven't done it yet again, but we will because we did it last time, and you'll hear about it. We may not pay for barber shaves this time. We may not put suits on, fancy suits, after the barber shave. We may do that this time. It's still nice to put on a suit and a tie and go to, well, a really nice bar and say, Hold your index finger up and so when the bartender says at the other end and say, excuse me, we would like to order a drink here. So in any case, that's how you get to Amazon.com on our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. And by PayPal, which is getting more and more fun to say every time I say it because now I've learned how to pronounce it. PayPal. That's right on PayPal. And it makes me very happy to say and all of us happy here to say through me, you know what? What you do is go to your favorite bar or a bar you've never been to and find out what they charge for a drink. One way or the other, we'll all find out eventually because if you order a drink, you're going to have to pay for it. And what you do is then send us the money for three drinks, one for the colonel, one for the doctor, and one for me. And we will have those on our big fried chicken dinner. And in any case, though, that's how we do it with PayPal, and we're very glad to say so. And that leads us to one of my favorite parts of the whole show, and I've always wanted to do this. It's called the Joke of the Week. That's right, the Joke of the Week, the weekly joke. I love jokes, you love jokes, and it's not because I'm a comic, by the way, because these are jokes that either a friend tells you or the ones you can't remember and you heard it 14 years ago and then finally you remember or you find a folded piece of paper in your pocket with a joke written down on it, you say, oh, I forgot that joke. So jokes are just terrific. It's a great, interesting, and ironic way to look at life. And I think this one fits all of those. It takes place in the Soviet Union. That was before they changed into whatever they are now. I don't know what they are now. No one knows what they are now. But when they were still what they used to be, which is the Soviet Union, and it's in the 1950s, and everyone who knows anything about the Soviet Union used to know this. This happened all the time in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Before they finally dissolved, they used to have 
trucks that would pull up in neighborhoods or industrial neighborhoods, and trucks would come from the government, and they would be there to pass out certain supplies for free to the people there. It wasn't that much, but everyone knew, no matter what was in that truck, if you heard of a truck pulling up, they would have a line form instantly that was blocks and blocks long, and people would wait there for hours. Didn't matter what they were giving away. Whatever it was, you needed it. It could be toilet paper. It could be shoes. It could be food. It could be anything at all. It could be forks. It didn't matter. Whatever it was, you were thrilled that truck pulled up. So a truck pulls up in the 1950s in Russia in an industrial neighborhood, and sure enough, without any opening the truck, no one knew what it was. Within just a minute or two, a line forms a half mile long, and people are standing there in the freezing weather, in the snow, and they don't care how long it's going to take. They're going to stand there, and they're going to get, get they're going to get what's on that truck. And after an hour of nothing happening, the back of the truck opens, and uh, one of the commissioners, the commissars of that era, comes out and just says, uh, "Friends, neighbors, folks, uh, we miscounted all the fresh vegetables we have here." And we don't have as many as we thought. So we can't handle all of you waiting online. All the Jews leave the line. All the Jews have to leave the line. Nothing said. All the Jews leave the line. Now they stand there. The truck closes again. Two hours goes by. And nothing happens still. Then the truck opens again. And the guy, same guy comes out again and says, Folks, we just recounted. We don't even have as many as we thought then. And so... Non-party members have to leave the line. If you're not in the Communist Party, you have to leave the line now. And the same thing, the truck closes. Two more hours go by. And the same guy comes again. Folks, we don't have as much as we thought. Anyone who hasn't served in a war has to leave the line. Anyone who hasn't served in a war has to leave the line. Same thing, two more hours goes. Anyone who hasn't gone to school has to leave the line. Finally gets down to, after 10 hours of this, it finally gets down to, it's getting dark out and there's just two Old men standing there. They have those thick winter coats on that are pinned together to stay closed and sewn together. And each one has three big war medals on the chest there. And the shoes are all ratted and rotten and, and, and falling apart. But they're all taped together and tied together. And it's just the two of them standing there waiting. And the same fella in the truck comes out and says... Fellas, I'm sorry. This turned out to be just a publicity stunt. We never had any vegetables. It was just there to get all the people together for a while, and we did. And now we're going home, and so we don't have anything at all, and now you go home. The same thing. The fellas don't say anything. They just turn around and start walking away, and the truck pulls off. And then one of the, one of the old fellas just turns to the other one and says, You know what really burns my butt? I'll tell you. It's that the Jews only had to wait online for an hour. <laughs> I think that's a great joke on every level and shows you just exactly what people can be in the end. That's what you're worried about now? Really? After 10 hours in the snow? So anyway, I hope you like that one, and I hope you have fun telling it to your friends. That's the joke of the week. And that leads us, of course, into my other favorite part of the show here, the Poetry Corner. Yes, the Poetry Corner. The corner where there are no fresh vegetables, 
only words about fresh vegetables and words in poem. When you have a great poet, folks, it teaches you so much about life. Whatever the poet is writing about, it really gives you a look on something else. Whatever he or she wants to write about, it gives you a whole different spin on everything. And in this case, well, it may be the greatest poet who's ever lived and the greatest playwright who's ever lived, and his name is William Shakespeare. We have been lucky enough to use him before. I've loved reading things by him. There's really nothing else to say except how wonderful he is because he still is. The work is still just great. And here's a poem called Carpe Diem. And that means in Latin, seize the day. And that's a good theme in all sorts of topics, but especially this one, which is about love. And here we go. It's called Carpe Diem. Oh, mistress mine, where are you roaming? Oh, stay and hear your true love's coming that can sing both high and low. Trip no further, pretty sweeting. Journeys end in lover's meeting. Every wise man's son doth know. What is love? Tis not hereafter. Present mirth hath present laughter. What's to come is still unsure. In delay there lies no plenty. Then come kiss me, sweet and twenty. Youth's a stuff will not endure. Isn't that nice? That's a great way to look at love. It's not talking about what he gives and she gives or what they're looking for or the questions they have. It's just saying, my goodness, how what a beautiful line. Then come kiss me, sweet and twenty. Youth's a stuff will not endure. Well, that's sure true, isn't it? Youth is a stuff that will not endure. But if you have it now and you care about someone and you're really attracted to her and she cares about you, you know what? Jump right in and, well, carpe diem, seize the day. That's a good theme. And thank you, Mr. Shakespeare, for something else that teaches us and makes us feel great. And that leads to something else I love doing because it also teaches us and makes us feel great. It makes me feel great. It's called My Magic Movie Moment. And I love doing this part because this is the Magic Movie Moment is supposed to be something you've seen five or ten or twenty times. A movie you just love because also there's a part of the movie, either a scene in the movie or a line from the movie or something two of the characters do in the movie and it makes you feel wonderful. It may not even have anything to do with the movie, but maybe it does. But it makes you feel wonderful every time you see that movie on TV and every time you do and you're waiting for that scene to come up and you say, oh, I can't wait to see what touches me so much, what moves me so much. And that's what the magic movie moment is. And in this case, it was something I saw yesterday on TV and I saw it from beginning to end, and I've seen it, oh, so many times, and I've loved it every time, and I forget every time, but I remember every time I see it how beautiful it is and how much it moves me. It's called How Green Was My Valley. 
It's a movie based on the Richard Llewellyn novel, How Green Was My Valley, which is an autobiographical, pardon me, which is an autobiographical novel of his life. And it's about a Welsh mining town where coal miners live and where the village supports each other and then gets mad at each other. It's such a beautiful story. It's directed by the great John Ford. And, oh, every actor in this thing is wonderful. Walter Pidgeon, Donald Crisp, Maureen O'Hara, Sarah Allgood, Anna Lee, Roddy McDowell. And if there are names there you don't know right off the bat, you really should. But see this sometime, How Green Was My Valley. And, by the way, all the music is written by one of the greatest composers in movie history, Alfred Newman. That's right. He was considered one of the, the nickname was one of the, they, they called them the godfathers of music in movies. And that was uh, Alfred Newman, Max Steiner, and and Dmitry Tiomkin. And oh, again, if you don't know those names, look for them each time the credits go by, because if you see one of those names, you'll know this music will really move me. And Alfred Newman wrote the music to this movie. And by the way, because show business is so wonderful, really, Alfred Newman is also the uncle. He's passed on since, but he's also the uncle of one of the greatest composers for a long time today, and that's someone I'll I'll bet you will know, someone named Randy Newman. So his uncle was Alfred Newman, and boy, that family has certainly given a lot to music in Hollywood. But the reason... How Green Was My Valley was is in the magic movie moment today is because it's also about love. Part of that story, and a big part, the part really that runs through the whole story, oh, it's a wonderful family, a Welsh mining family, and Donald Crisp and Sarah Allgood are the parents, and he's a miner, and they have six sons and two daughters. And that was a small family, by the way. But that's the way they did it, and you just love seeing these people live. You love seeing them live with their neighbors. You love seeing who gets married. You love seeing who goes to work and who works hard and what what happens to them along the way and how the whole town ages like the mine itself. But I'll tell you, there is a love in this movie between Walter Pigeon and Maureen O'Hara. Maureen O'Hara plays one of the sisters, and she's helping the the mother take care of the house there. And the new preacher, the new minister, uh, Walter Pigeon, comes to town, and he's taking over the church there, and they fall for each other the second they meet. And the reason this is such a moving part of the story, the reason it's a magic movie moment is, in this case, through the whole movie, you and I know something the characters don't know. You know how much they love each other. I know how much they love each other, and we all know how right they are for each other, but the characters don't know it yet. And that becomes very touching and very moving in a great movie because you want to say to the characters in the movie, you want to yell to them, really. You want to yell... Don't you understand? You have it. The it everyone is looking for, and it's there for you. It's right there for you. It's sitting right there on the table, and all you have to do is pick it up. 
and that is real love. They care about each other. They want each other so much, but there are reasons, and I won't give them away. There are reasons that are older, traditional reasons that they don't act on what they want. They could have acted on what they want, and they don't seem to right off the bat, and that's all that need be said. And as these characters move through the story and everything else in the family and the village and the mine that happens in this beautiful story, How Green Was My Valley? Well, the greenest part is that they loved each other from the very start, and you know it and I know it the second we see that. So please see that if you never have. If you have seen that movie but don't really remember it well, see it again. How Green Was My Valley by John Ford with one of the best casts you'll ever see. And it'll teach you, if you don't know this already, well, it'll teach you how wonderful it is to be lucky enough to find love like that. And you know what? It reminds me and makes me think of this is a time of the year and so many things happened that are as once in a lifetime, really, as falling in love like that. And what I mean is that we just had Daylight Savings Time. Now, Daylight Savings Time is one of those holidays. I don't even know. It is a holiday. I guess it's an official holiday, or it's a federal day that where twice a year, of course, well, the time changes. And there are a lot of people who think we should never have Daylight Savings Time. Well, they're just, just stupid. We shouldn't do that because it it confuses the cows or whatever it does that, that they don't quite understand or get. And that's fine with me. I think they're wrong because I think Daylight Savings Time is wonderful. And I'll tell you why. It's because in a complicated life and a complicated world and a society like ours, a democratic society where so many things don't get done well at all or can't get done in the first place. It's really remarkable and wonderful to me that somehow, in the middle of all that chaos, we all just get together and change the time. I think that's unbelievable. I didn't know you could change the time. And I think it's wonderful that we all just say, let's change the time. I didn't know that was something that could be done, well, democratically, and that all over the United States, I think, now I could be wrong, but I think Arizona as a state does not have daylight savings time, and I think there are some counties, I think, in a couple in Kansas and a couple elsewhere that don't have daylight savings time either that vote on this, and I'd like to say to them, by the way, I'm sure there are other things to vote on. I, I, I know that you're really absorbed with the question of daylight savings time, and that's fine, but you know what? I think daylight savings time is great because we just do it together. Somehow, in a time and in a place and in a way where we can't manage anything together, really, we do with daylight savings time. And I love that changing the time out of nowhere, if someone comes up and says, well, it's 6 o'clock, we could all just look at each other and say, no, it's not. We all say it's 5 o'clock. And so that makes it 5 o'clock. And if that person there, that guy then says, no, it's not 6 o'clock, we all get to say, no, it's 5 o'clock. And I always wished 
We could do that with all sorts of other other categories. I can't even believe, for instance, when someone says, well, welcome back to work, it's Monday. We could all say, no, we say it's Friday. Can you just do that? Can you do it that way? Well, wait a minute. No, you can't do that. Otherwise, I'll have to fire you. I'm the boss. No, I'm the boss. So how how much farther can you go with this? I think daylight savings time is great. And you know what? It's just so nice to know. The first day of daylight savings time, of course, I'll bet you a dollar you go through the same thing I do, which is suddenly we all have a minor freakout of not only trying to change the clocks on the stove, but the one in the car. You can never remember how to do. No one knows how to do the one in the car. But it's not just that. It's that we all spend the first day of daylight savings time running around like chickens without a head. Just You just go, ah, it's darker early, but it's too. it shouldn't be this dark at 541. Well, it is. And I love that it feels a little off to us. I love that that first day and the, the, the first light in the day, in the morning and the afternoon and the evening, never feels quite right. It always feels a tiny bit off, and I love that. When you say to yourself, gee, it just doesn't feel like 4 o'clock. I love that feeling, and I love that we've just done it. Now, please write to me again on the website at LarryMillerPodcast.com. If you know of the reason, because I I didn't want to look this up again, why we have daylight savings time. I remember as a kid in elementary school, everyone used to say, well, it's for the farmers. It helps the farmers. Well, that's fine with me, too. I, um, who doesn't want to help the farmers? And that's fine. But if you know the reason for daylight savings time, please write in and tell us. And and that'll be interesting. And I'll tell you as soon as as soon as one of you tells me. But you know what? It's it's just terrific without it. It doesn't really matter. And daylight savings time is one of the most fun parts of the year. Twice a year, and of course this time we we fall back. I, I still have to memorize that, that in, in spring you say, oh, you spring ahead. You turn the clocks ahead. That's how you know you turn them ahead, because in spring you spring ahead. And in fall, you fall back, so you turn the clocks back. I like that really no one knows what to do until they say that. Okay, you spring ahead, you fall back. I, I like that we all have to say that. I think no matter how tough you are, you could be the head of a criminal motorcycle gang and you still have to say, okay, you spring ahead, you fall back. Because everyone has to do that. I like that. And you know what, though? Daylight savings time is twice a year when I feel in charge of my life and my schedule. And I feel proud that I'm always the one in the house who changes every clock. Now, it's true, no one else really cares. My wife and the kids don't care. I think the dog really believes I'm very cool for changing the clocks. Now, someone else might say, someone more cynical might say, Larry, he's just following you around to see if you take food out and maybe give him some of the food. Well, that's the type of attitude I don't need. But I love changing, and I love that there's a reason to change in daylight savings time. But there are things you don't like. We just had at the same time, of course, Halloween. Now, I... I'm glad if you love Halloween. And I'm not kidding, by the way. That's not lip service. I'm glad if you love Halloween. I don't think I ever really got it. Now, as a kid, it was different. Because 
All men and women today, when we were all boys and girls, we got to dress up for Halloween and go trick-or-treating. But that's a little puzzling because when I was a kid, and when maybe when a lot of you were kids too, there was no buying of costumes. We still lived, grew up in New York on Long Island, so it was a full winter. And by the time Halloween came around, you're wearing your winter coat and you're wearing boots and it's snowing. But So it's not as if you're, you're going out dressed like Spider-Man because no one was buying those things anyway. Those things didn't exist in the first place. What we would do is, well, suddenly your mom, on just on the day, just when you were about to go out for candy, uh, she'd take one of the, the her eyebrow pencils and just draw in a mustache on you. And suddenly, okay, how do you like that? Look at that. Hey, he's Batman, Batman with a mustache. And you know what, though? That was fine. That was enough. I remember two or three times wearing a towel as a cape to be Superman. Now, we didn't have red towels. It wasn't even a red towel. It was a striped towel or something. But you could tie it around your neck and go running down the sidewalk with that grocery bag you're holding out and your arms stretched out as if you're going to fly. And the towel, of course, because it's wintertime, was tied around your winter coat. But that didn't matter. To wear a hat, you could pretend it was a, it was a Batman hat. And I loved doing it. We didn't have... We didn't have costumes. We didn't have songs to sing. It, but we liked it best of all, just because you threw it together at the last minute. My parents never came with us because those were also still trusting days when you trusted everyone in the neighborhood. And, you know, the neighborhood was, if you spend an hour and a half going up one side of the block and down the other, and those were long blocks, but if you spent an hour and a half doing that, you were dead tired. That was plenty. That was enough Halloween for anybody. And you could take that bag back to your bedroom, which I did and we all did. And you know what, though? It was still a little bit responsible. We didn't eat the whole thing. So what you'd do back in your bedroom is have two or three pieces of candy. You'd have one of the Hershey bars. And not one of the newer ones where it's the size of a license plate, where it's a whole Hershey bar that's just 12 pounds of chocolate. It was just an older bar. We'd say, hey, look at that, a chocolate bar. You can have one of those. And one of my favorite things still, well, a lollipop. That's right, a lollipop. And the kind, they weren't the fancy ones. They weren't gigantic lollipops that were three-quarters of an inch thick and 14 pounds heavy to hold up. These were the lollipops you used to get in the barber shop. So you'd, you'd have a green or an orange or a red or or a raspberry one, or a yellow lemon one. And that was it also. There weren't any fancy colors. It wasn't something like, hey, look at that, blue. <laughs> what color, what flavor is blue? But you didn't need to do that. And we would have a lollipop, and we didn't eat them. You didn't chomp, 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 just go through the lollipop. We could take it out to the den and watch TV with my parents, and we could lick that lollipop for another hour. And you know what? That was a great Halloween. And it was great because we never fell prey to another thing I hated. I'm sure you hated, too. There was always someone on the block who gave out apples, gave you an apple. And you want to say, look, I know what an apple is. We live in an apple orchard, okay? I think I know what an apple orchard is. But even if you didn't, the point is that Halloween night is not the night for an apple. It's not the night to give someone an apple. You want to say to the two parents who decided to give out apples, you want to say, you know what, 
You're an idiot. So stop giving out something this stupid. And it is stupid. The kids don't want the apples. Be like everyone else and give out a little Hershey's Kiss piece of chocolate, all right? Just something for Halloween. The apple was stupid. Plus, there was always one house that gave out toothbrushes. Everyone got a toothbrush, and that was your treat, the toothbrush. And you want to say, yes, I know. Well, why does the guy always give out toothbrush? Because he's a dentist. He's the dentist on the block, and he gives out the toothbrush. I understand why. I know why. We love the dentist. We all love the doctor. He's a good dentist. He's a good guy. He's always out there at football practice, and he's always telling everyone how to hit. They were great families. But you know what? We didn't need to get a toothbrush. You want to say, buddy, it's 1964. It's the United States of America. I think my parents can handle getting me a toothbrush. We don't need you. And so you know what you want to say to them as well? Just get some butterscotch. How'd that be, okay? Just get the little ones. You hand them out and you throw them in the bag so that every kid can say thanks. And that's another thing. We don't trick anymore. We didn't trick the way people used to trick. you got to imagine, good Lord, a thousand years ago, the word trick, well, I think it meant something like you're the one who gets stuffed in the fireplace or that your house gets wrapped in toilet paper, but before there was toilet paper, it got wrapped in you. And I think that people used to really trick each other if they, if they didn't give the kids something decent. So you know what? If this was back in the 12th century, I can tell you right now, don't be the one on the block giving out apples or toothbrushes because you're looking for a treat from me and you're looking for a trick that I consider a trick. But that's all right. You know, I don't need to. I'm glad people like Halloween. That's fine. I'm glad they like dressing up in such a crazy way. The first play I was ever in the, uh, what was his name, Ralph, the head of the makeup department. And this is a play in a theater here in Los Angeles. And it had some really good actors you'd know in it. It was called Billy Budd, a great play. And it also was on stage during Halloween. It During the run of the play was, was in Halloween. And there was going to be a party at the producer's house a Halloween party. My parents, God bless them, they passed on now, and they, they came out to stay with me, and they were going to see the play and me in the play, and they did, and then we were going to go to the house of the producer for the party afterwards. And that's right, Ralph, who ran the makeup department, Ralph was uh, getting, we were all giving a dollar, and it was a large cast too, into a basket so that Ralph could get the Marie Antoinette costume he really wanted and ralph was a was a big guy ralph was about six five six six and he wanted to get the whole thing with the uh, with the giant white wig with the place in the middle where you can put a bird in a cage and uh, a huge well a huge gown a marie antoinette gown i don't know what they're called and the heels with you know diamond sequins on it or something or other and I'll never forget when we got to the party after the play that night, and we got to the party, and Billy Budd's a great play anyway, by the way. And, uh, oh, Peter Bromelow, what a great actor. I always liked him, and he played one of the English officers, and uh, he, he was English himself. And he said, when I came in with my parents, he said, what a great theater voice he had. He said, oh, hello, laddie. Have uh, and I'd say, Peter, these are my parents. They came visiting. They saw the plays. 
very nice to meet you. And then he said to me, Larry, have you seen the Contessa? And I'd say, well, uh, no, I, uh, we just we just got here. And then he, he held his hand out and pointed away, and he said, well, there she is. And it was Ralph dressed up, and he was on a platform dressed as Marie Antoinette, and which was great, by the way. I, you know, I don't care. My parents didn't care. It was wonderful because I said, that's Ralph from Makeup. And so we walked, the three of us walked over, and he was kind of posing as Marie Antoinette. And he had the whole thing on, the wig and the bird and the dress and sort of a, you know, a magic wand kind of uh, thing with a star on the end of it. And he had a tiara on top of the wig, and he had the big dress. with. And, it's, and so he was tall anyway, and he was standing on a foot-high platform, and he had really big high heels on. So... Altogether, he was about 14 feet high. And so he, and he was sort of posing, and I just said, uh, Ralph, and I kind of whispered, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but my parents came to the show tonight, and I just wanted you to say, I wanted them to say hi to you. And he looked down and smiled and said, you know, oh, hello, Mr. and Mrs. Miller. And I said, okay, that's fine. You can go back to the pose. And they said, hello, Ralph, very nice to meet you. And he went back to posing, and that's... That was the that was our Halloween that night. No one else, I guess all the actors felt they had already been in Halloween because we were all wearing costumes in Billy Budd. But uh, I'll never forget that everyone said that night, hey, did you see Ralph? He looked great. And you know what? I, uh, first of all, I agree. Uh, and second of all, and we all helped pay for it too by just tossing in a buck or two into the basket. But I'll never forget Peter's voice. Hello, laddie. Have you seen the Contessa? Well, there she is. Boy, that was great. So there's a lot of great things to Halloween, but you know what? Not really for me. I'm glad people like it. If you like it, I'm glad you like it. And you know what, though? I don't think I really need it, and uh, I don't think I ever did as a kid, and if I ever did anything anymore... I might just tie another bath towel around my neck and uh, stroll up and down the block. But that wouldn't bother anyone on our block because they'd think, oh, that's Larry. He's crazy. They wouldn't think, oh, he has that great Halloween spirit. They would, ju they would just say, you know what? He loves, and I do love this. It's the one time of year for daylight savings time or leap year. It's the other time, only other time I can think of where we all work together on something. We all go along with something. We all agree to something. And we all agree that, all right, if you say it's 5 o'clock, that's fine with me. So, you know what? That just means, as always, as you know, and as I know, Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet. So, remember, folks, as always... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that is the truest thing I know, no matter how you're dressed. So you know what? Thanks for coming this week, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> All right, one more time.